Hello and welcome to episode 46 of Hitting the Bar, the football podcast. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. Well, Jeff, before we start with this week's football, there's been a lot of controversy, a lot of goals, and some good news for both our teams, which we'll get to in a moment. Mm. But first, your trivia question. At the weekend, Liverpool drew with Burnley, which meant that Liverpool could not win every home game in the top flight this season. The question is, which team were the last to win every home game in the top flight in one season? Ah, that is a good question and uh, very topical as well. We'll get the answer at the end of the show. So let's start with some of the games that happened this last weekend. I'd like to start with the North London derby because it's fresh in my mind and I'm a Tottenham fan. Can we... Can we pronounce it properly north north the north, north london derby yeah. <laughs> first of all tottenham won two one not a great performance from either team particularly nothing to write home about three points for tottenham that's a relief for jose Mourinho. they did show scenes from the dressing room afterwards uh, he ran into the dressing room punching the air screaming yes 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 and so did the rest of the team uh, it meant a lot to them it always does but it wasn't a great performance from either team particularly no i, I think it was a typical Mourinho performance he said sat back and waited for the Wanderers to make a mistake, which they duly did. Yes, he clearly had a game plan, and that was to allow Arsenal to make mistakes. Yeah, which which they've done. I mean, uh, uh, The Wanderers have now dropped 21 points from leading positions this season. Uh, bear in mind that the worst is West Ham with 24, so they're, <laughs> not, they're not that far away, are they? No. Um, 15 of those occasions have been under Mikel Arteta. Wow. Well, because we do say that he, they've not improved under him, we can't see what game plan he has, what tactics he has. According to statistics and newspaper articles, they have improved under him, and should if the season had started in February, they would be much higher up the league and all this kind of thing. But watching that game, I didn't see a lot of passion from the Arsenal team. Well, the only difference I saw between the two teams is Arsenal went direct and Tottenham went the pretty way round to get to the uh, to the penalty box. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I, I thought that maybe you could make an argument that, that the Wanderers looked more likely to score when they had the ball, but it, it wasn't a huge thing. Okay, the, the Wanderers have failed to win any of their previous 27 games against the Big Six. This is the team that think that they're at the top table in Europe. They might actually be the only ones to fall out of that. I, I think both Tottenham and Arsenal consider themselves top six European competition teams. Out of the two, I don't see how either of them are European class at the moment no. but out of the two I do feel that Tottenham have a little bit more bite and possibility than Arsenal but I'm bound to say that but I don't see very much in Arsenal at all. No I, I don't either and, and you know the groundsman's come in but w w what has he actually done? I mean this was only the sixth time the Wanderers three most expensive signings Lacazette, Aubameyang and Pepe have started a league, league game together. Only the sixth time How you know how many games has the groundsman had and you can't get their top three signings on the pitch together the fourth most expensive signing by the way is Ozil wasn't even on the bench no he's been out of the squad for a couple yeah. of games now hasn't he yeah, yeah I don't think it looks good for Arsenal they were a point above Tottenham now they're two points behind it's a little bit of a ding dong battle there for seventh eighth ninth not a yeah. great thing for a Tottenham fan or an Arsenal fan to have to say for me the positives of that performance were that Tottenham did look actually a little bit more like a team than they have done of late I think they sort of recovered from getting a thrash 
thrashing by Sheffield United 3-1. Mm. But then Chelsea lost 3-0 to Sheffield United, so maybe it's Sheffield United. Well, or maybe we have to just hold our hands up and say Sheffield United are actually very good. Yeah, I'm afraid yeah, they are. <laughs> I mean, do you, remember, do you remember there was a time, believe it or not, when Swansea were in the Premier League and they were playing beautiful free-flowing football mm. and everybody was calling them Swansalona, as in Barcelona, and everybody was holding their hands up and saying, you have to admit, they beat Man United, they're a good team. Is it a flash in the pan like that? Well, Sheffield United, no, because they are extremely well organised, both both defensively and and very creative in attack. So it, the, the teams like Swansea, they were they were always going to be weak in defence. You knew that you could you could see it. Sheffield United aren't, and a very very good goalkeeper. I mean, he's he's light years better than De Gea. Yes, we're going to talk about uh, certain goalkeepers like Nick Pope at Burnley as well in a little mm. while, I think. But with Tot- with Tottenham, I, w- I wasn't disappointed with the performance. I didn't have the, the I suppose the passion or pace of a normal North London derby. No, it didn't. No. It didn't. But there was no crowd there, and I think in those particular games that makes a big difference. Yeah, I, th- I think so. In derby games, the the crowd do do lift both teams don't they it's, yeah. there's more more atmosphere if you like yeah I did I did think I again biased as I am of course but I just felt that although maybe statistically Arsenal edged it Tottenham edged it on desire or passion or, or wanting it more a little bit I just felt there was a little bit more there from yeah. Tottenham yeah but I, I think we've already talked more about the game than the quality of the game deserved to be <laughs> it, was, it was not a good game yeah it was, I mean if you want to watch the highlights reel it's very short it's very short yeah yeah, yeah. It wasn't a dreadful game, but it was it, it was not one to remember. I know there's a number of Spurs fans writing writing below the line. When 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 you get the report in the newspapers underneath, the, the people subscribers write their letters in, and there are more Spurs supporters saying they don't know whether to be happy that they beat the Wanderers or sad that it means Mourinho will stay. <laughs> well, he seemed delighted with it, and uh, I'd, I'd just take the three points. Uh, talking of dreadful games, though, the one afterwards between Bournemouth and Leicester was an absolutely shocking game, even though there were five goals in it. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't an awful lot of quality there, was there? No, I mean, you've got Bournemouth, who are battling relegation, playing in their little stadium there, against Leicester, who've been in the top four and top three for most of the season, before the lockdown, playing some beautiful, beautiful football. Uh, and basically, both teams are just hoofing it about. It looked like a relegation battle or a championship game to me. It looked... It, it, no, it, did, it did look like a championship it, it game, didn't, didn't it? It, it, yeah. There, yeah. It, it was just unattractive football, and it, there was a lot of, sort of desperation about it and very little... There was very little skill. The only thing I I disagree with in what you're saying was that it wasn't the lockdown which was the the change in Leicester's season. If you if you started the season on the first of January 2020, Leicester would now be 14th in the league. They've had a slide, haven't they? Yeah, and and coincidentally, it's just after Brendan Rodgers was given his big new contract. Mm, so you're saying what he became complacent or? No, I'm saying it was a coincidence. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, could, you could tell that I said it was a coincidence because I actually said it's you, a coincidence. You did say that. I thought yeah. you might have been trying to be ironic or something. But I might it, have been trying to be ironical, as they say. <laughs> ironical. Okay, yes. Yeah, so it is a bit weird. Uh, but they were they look very bad. I mean, Jamie Vardy scored again. I mean, he, he always looks as, you know, you get the ball to Vardy in and around the penalty area, he always looks likely to score. Yes, he did. I mean, it was a, a, a real striker sort of poacher's goal, yeah, wasn't very it? Very much a Jamie Vardy goal, yeah. But then, then they just fell apart in the second half. 
Leicester. Mm. Four goals. They conceded four through some terrible errors, some some defensive errors and goalkeeping errors. Kasper Schmeichel on poor form. Oh, I mean, when when he when he cleared the ball and hit the back of his own defender, hit yeah. the back of Nathan Aki from twelve yards away, which which you got an entire field in front of you. <laughs> it was quite extraordinary. And and then well, then he brought the player down. And oh dear, it was a, a catalogue of errors. He just had a nightmare in that second yeah. half, didn't he? It was. He did. It was a. It was a terrible game to watch, and yet it was. It was almost like some sort of comedy performance because it was just a bizarre, bizarre. Well, you couldn't take your eyes off it because something was going to happen. <laughs> it wasn't attractive to watch, but it was somehow very, very sort of appealing in yeah, some it's, way. It's like the clowns at the circus where you're you're seeing them trying to juggle and get it wrong all the time. Yes, <laughs> just wanting to, just waiting for it to happen again. So that was uh, Leicester possibly throwing it away. They were very lucky that Man United drew last night. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, Leicester would have been out of the top four. Yes. Uh, Man United drew at home 2-2 to Southampton, a very late goal, 96 minute from Southampton, who've got nothing to play for, but put up a real fight. Hassan Huttle's looking a very, very good manager, isn't he? Yes, excellent, yes. Look, look at his, his history at RB Leipzig. He got them promoted into the Bundesliga for the first time in their history. This is a this is a club that is only 10 years old, remember? Yeah. And in that, that first year in the Bundesliga, he got them into the Champions League, and he was sacked wow. because in the second year, he only got them to sixth place only. in the Bundesliga. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, he's a very good manager. He is, and again, we have to mention it again, they did lose nine nil at home to Leicester yeah. way back earlier in the season and the board the club stuck by him mm. and they're going to finish something like 12th or something yeah. which isn't bad considering they were relegation contenders oh, absolutely uh, he's done a he's done a great job and whatever else you can say about them they play like a team they yes. play for each other they maximize their strengths they minimize their mistakes they're exceptionally well coached yeah there's a, a little bit of a difference between some teams that are struggling comparatively <coughs> to those that are doing well or exceeding expectations is this thing about playing as a team this no superstar idea that, that, that we have Sheffield United Burnley Brighton Southampton yeah, exactly. all either clinging on and doing really well or doing better than expected uh, or, or turning up when it matters and then teams like Arsenal West Ham Tottenham who've got some great players mm. who either aren't playing for their managers or think they're above listening to their managers and that's something I've not considered before it's just come into my head that it's not that they don't get on with the manager they just think they know better it's entirely possible yeah it does seem that there are some teams that should be better who either they just think they're too good for where they are or too good for the manager or whatever it is because Tottenham should be better than they are with the with the players they've got very good on paper not so much on grass well yeah and I, I can understand Tottenham not not being any better because of who the manager is and I don't think you know I, I think uh, he's, he's not yesterday's man he's the day before yesterday's man soon as when he was asked about West Ham last week he he put on his manager's union coat and refused to <laughs> and refused to criticize David Moyes but he did say look that group of players are far too good to be down there that group of players should mm. be in the top 10 fighting for fighting for Europe so what's going wrong then and th but he refused to, yeah, to blame Moyes but it's very clear they're not playing for him they're not I mean West Ham though had a great result at the weekend yeah and Antonio got four goals in one match four goals in one match first of all is a fantastic <laughs> thing now our 
friend Kirk, who is a big West Ham fan and an, an author of several books on West Ham, was mightily disappointed that the fact that a player got four goals for West Ham in one match, uh, which is some sort of record, hasn't been done for many, many years for since, West Ham. Since David Cross in 1981, yeah. Right. Uh, he was actually very angry that that was not the headline. The headline, of course, was that that meant Norwich were relegated. Well, yes, but yeah, it's because Norwich were relegated. But he's, he's got a point because week before last, uh, Martial got three goals and it was all over the back pages. Yes, it was. It was a huge, huge thing yeah. about this wonder kid and all that kind of thing. And you can't stop Man United now. What a firepower no. they've got. And then uh, Antonio gets four goals in one game, which is a very rare thing for any team. To, uh, for that to happen to any team. Yeah, but he he's been one of the best players since in in the league since the lockdown. He he's been phenomenal as a as a lone striker. You know, he he has been everywhere and he's he's pretty much died on the pitch every time. But there is an amusing thing about Antonio's four goals against Norwich at Carrow Road. Antonio has scored more goals at Carrow Road in 2020 than Norwich. <laughs> Beautiful. That might explain why Norwich are now relegated. It might have something to do with it. Yeah, yeah. not a, not great. Uh, the manager Farke uh, said that they they've been expecting it. It was no big surprise. I think they, they've enjoyed their adventure in the Premier League. He didn't seem that disappointed, and maybe that was uh, why they didn't really turn up in a game they needed to win. Yeah, it's it's very very difficult for these uh, the, the sides coming up. I mean, uh, they average three point eight years in the in the Premier League, but it has to be said that more go down in the first year than. Than, than survive. Um, the thing that they they did, which was a conscious decision, was not to go out and spend lots and lots of money on players they believed to be better. So they they actually they actually went into it with a mindset of, okay, if we do go down, it's not going to be a financial disaster for us, and it's not. They they will lose their best players. I mean, Cantwell will be will be snapped up by any any top four team. He's he's that good. He's a superb player. Um, as for the rest of them, well, they'll just knuckle down. And I think as long as they end the year on some kind of high, like win their last match or you know the last two if possible, then they can go into next season on, on a positive and expect to come up again the, the, the oh. year after. If they go down on a low and and do a sort of a Huddersfield or, or or somebody like that. Well, that 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 could be difficult for them. Right, so it does. It'll carry on till the next season. It could well do because there isn't going to be much time between the end of one season and the start of another, is it? It's going to be like a five continuation. Or six weeks, yeah, yeah, it's almost like a continuation. So the feeling will still be there. They'll also bound to lose surely. Team of Pukki. Really? You really? don't think because he was superb at the beginning of the start of the season. I know, but that very often happens with a uh, with the, the the striker in a promoted team. You play everybody else twice a season, once in the first half, once in the second half. And for the first half of the season, no you know, defenses haven't seen him. They don't know his runs. They don't know how he likes to receive the ball. For the second match, they do. And you very often see strikers scoring the bulk of their goals in the first half of the season. And when the defenses are used to him, when they're set up to defend against them, they don't score many. And Pookie was exactly that. So if anything, Puki confirmed that he's not a Premier League quality striker. Right, so you, d- you don't particularly uh, rate the fact, you don't think he will be so- sought after then? No, I don't. Not I, particularly. I, I, th- I think he's, he's a very good championship quality striker. 
All right. That's where it, she should be. That's And that's where he's going. And that's great. <laughs> that's yeah. where he's going. Apart from West Ham, one of the other teams in the relegation battle, but I think probably safe now, are Brighton. Yes, they are. Now, they were victims of a 5-0 thrashing by Manchester City, but that wasn't actually... We've got to get round to it eventually. That wasn't Man City's biggest or least surprising or most surprising victory of this week because, of course, for those that don't know, uh, Manchester City's appeal to the Court of Arbitration for Sport uh, against their two-year ban from... European football was overturned and their fine was reduced as well. The, the appeal was upheld. It was the, the original. Appeal, yeah. the, the penalty was overturned. Yeah. And if you read what Cass said and read what UEFA said, it's, it's all perfectly understandable. And I, I, I cannot understand so much of the nonsense that's been written about this. Last week, Simon Jordan was on on his his radio show come come video podcast saying Manchester City were guilty as hell. They'd signed up to these financial fair play agreements etc etc he couldn't see any other any other outcome now he was absolutely right in in saying that he wasn't there's no problem with it the point was that all the facts that we'd seen were the facts that had been leaked by UEFA which is contrary to their rules by the way yes Um, what Manchester City did in the appeal was present some more facts. But yeah, they allege they've been a victim of an illegal hack. Yeah, I mean that 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 may well be so. But the the judges and the, these are these are serious people. These are mm. not 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 football people. Not they're not <laughs> paid by anyone. These are serious judges sat there and they looked at the evidence and they ruled on the evidence and and they said no, Manchester City did not pay money directly from the owner. That the money was sponsorship from Etihad, as they'd said, and on the one occasion it had to be only one year that that might not have happened it was time expired because the the UEFA rules say you can only only be found guilty for something up to five years old I I don't think that there is any reason at all to say that the financial fair play rules are doomed there will be any change to them the problem is UEFA was stupid well you've just answered my next sort of point because afterwards Gary Lineker tweeted and I you know I follow him on Twitter and he's a very very interesting and very bright guy and he raises some interesting points of course can't always be right but what he said was it is hard to see how UEFA's FFP the fair play rules can survive this in fact can UEFA survive the ramifications right the his first point is completely wrong because hmm. the, the, everything that Cass said actually supports the the FIFA Fair Play rules. They used the FIFA Fair Play rules in the ruling. Now UEFA, as he, as he rightly says, and now UEFA have got serious questions to answer because hmm. why did they not know that one of the key points of their their case was time expired by their own rule? Their own, yeah, they didn't and know their uh, own rules. You know, the relevant rule is Article 37 of the CFCB handbook, and that's stands for Club Financial Control Body Handbook and it says and I'll quote it prosecution is barred after five years for all breaches of the UEFA club licensing and FFP regulations that's their rule and yet they bought this case where they were alleging this after five years it's stupid now six years ago City were found guilty of breaching FFP rules and they were punished for that in 2014 so you can't be punished twice for the same thing so they've already been punished for that within five years Cass said there is no case to answer It, it is just the facts are that City have not done what you said they did. So there's the the one year, you know, six years back. 
back, but that's time expired. So how have UEFA got this so badly wrong? They've got it very badly wrong. And uh, the legal side of it and everything, obviously then City possibly were right. Uh, and it's fair. It's a fair result. I think maybe it's the football fans in us or the ir- irrational human being in us or the, the fact that we don't actually know the rules mm, correctly. We all wanted, we all wanted, I think most of us wanted for City to be banned. We felt that they had had an unfair advantage. We felt that they played players they shouldn't be playing and we all felt that that was wrong and therefore they should be punished for it maybe we were wrong and they hadn't done anything wrong and therefore that's why they are going to play on well uh, Cass said we are wrong Cass Uh, said in the last five years Manchester City have not you are wrong the facts show they've done nothing wrong in the last five years in the last five years yeah (laughs) Yeah. but you know that's the point though they're playing in UEFA's UEFA's own rules Mm. and the rules say after five years you can't do it unless you know remember six years ago they were punished for it Mm. so they can't have it yeah back in 2014 they were yeah yeah and I think I think the issue for the UEFA blunder is that they they acted in a very football mm-hmm. way and I, I think their original ban of two years plus the fine was a typical football thing where okay Manchester City was supposed to say oh it's a fair cop gov societies to blame mm. and then then negotiate the two years down to one year I think that's what UEFA expected to happen they didn't bargain for City getting very angry because they hadn't actually done the thing I don't mm. think that's what UEFA took into account count at all and they know. thought they'd hang their heads in shame and, and just, just let it pass yeah so they'd, they'd agree to a one-year ban and we all carry on as mm. before but City were, were genuinely genuinely angry that they'd been accused of something they hadn't done and UEFA screwed up very very badly where that leaves them is a very interesting question because the next thing that is the next big thing that's going to happen is going to be this European League and this if you like is part of the proxy fight as to who's going to run the European League is it going to be UEFA is it going to be FIFA or is it going to be secret party number three yes. and <laughs> and the clue here is get your money on secret, secret. party number three yeah, who yeah. other organizations are available oh, yeah, indeed because <laughs> yeah. that's where I think it's going um, and this was also a bit of a proxy fight as as the FIFA fair uh, sorry financial fair play r- rules are between old money and new money mm. now they, they say oh these were brought in to make clubs profitable blah 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 rubbish that's absolute crap it was the old money clubs the previous in inverted commas big clubs trying to pull the trap door up behind them so if you know it's been portrayed as um if you like Manchester City one, the UEFA nil, or or old money, old money nil, new money one. But I think it's actually old money one, new money one, and new money one on a on a you know, away goals. And away goals, yeah. I mean, it's it is. I mean, safe in their hands, UEFA. We we well, none of us really trusted UEFA, and certainly, no, no. certainly not FIFA for many years. No. Now they've lost all credibility. People are just people rather than being in fear of them, people are just going to turn around next time and go. Oh, shut up your way for sit down. Well, uh, that, that is the risk. If the thing had been upheld, Manchester City would have lost uh, probably £230 million in income over the next two years. That's according to Dr. Rob Wilson of Sheffield Hallam University. They have a football mm. a football section there. Now, the, the problem with losing that money is, is twofold. Well, threefold, maybe. Firstly, they lose players because they're not playing in 
in in the Champions League, they lose that money. They can't they can't buy the players of the same standard to replace them. Firstly, because they haven't got that money, mm. and secondly, because of the financial fair play rules, they're limited to the amount of money they can spend. So they can only only get players of a lower quality, and that's what these financial fair play is all about: to limit the ability of new clubs like Chelsea and Manchester City, Paris Saint Germain, from joining this big club. Mm. And Incidentally, where exactly are the Wanderers in the big club now? Got no, yeah, yeah, they'll be desperate for in, knock, knocking on the door asking yeah. for an invitation. Exactly, yeah. Because I'm sorry, you're not on the list, son. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Just to go back to City then quickly, because they they are guaranteed second place. Yes, so they are they now are. guaranteed Champions mm. League football legitimately, without question. They could go all the way. The Champions League is still to be played, quarterfinals, semi-finals, mm. final, all that. So that they could actually end up having a very good season. Yeah, they could. They, they could still win the FA Cup. Can't they they? Can still win it. They can still win the FA Cup. So it's all it's all really good times for Manchester City. I mean, when things are going well for you, they're going well for you. Raheem Sterling scored a hat trick against Brighton. Mm. Um, the third one came off the back of his head while he was lying on the floor. So when it's going right, it's yeah. going right, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, I don't know what I don't want to say. Well done, Man City. I just want I, I'm just glad it's over and we know where we stand because it kind of the ramifications for supporters and I suppose for other clubs making plans of you know if you finish fifth does that mean you finish fourth if Man City get kicked out if you finish seventh does that mean that you it was all a bit complicated but it's now as you were. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, just finish here with with Kevin Maguire, or Kieran Maguire, sorry, the football finance lecturer at University of Liverpool. He he said. The quality of evidence put forward by UEFA was insubstantial and inadequate. Oh dear, oh dear. So oh UEFA really are, as, as Gary Lineker said, you know, the ramifications for UEFA, you know, will they survive? It's an interesting one. It's a very interesting one, yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if maybe a new organisation entirely takes over or it gets completely dismantled and rebuilt. Oh, I mean, it, it, it's the, the sort of pinnacle of European Football Association. So as an organisation, it will carry on in the same way that the Football Association in, in, in England carries on, despite the fact that the Premier League sits above it, if you like. You know, and the Premier League was, was brought into being as part of the Football Association. Now it's bigger than the Football Association. So football associations are about the little boys club on a on a Saturday morning all the way up it's it's about the clubs Premier League and whatever will replace UEFA in the European League are about the money the business yes it's, it's always going to be down to that before we go on to because I want to talk about Chelsea but something that I do want to mention just very briefly because it's a topic we discussed on the show before but uh, David McGoldrick uh, was racially, racially abused the Sheffield United uh, striker David McGoldrick was racially abused on social media uh, quite shocking things that were said to him following the arrest of a 12-year-old boy in connection with race he's been set free now obviously uh, in connection with racist messages sent to Wilfred Zaha now when I was growing up and you know fighting the cause and being political it was considered that it was older people who were racist and that generation would die out unfortunately they seem to be passing it on to their grandchildren they're passing it on to their children and grandchildren yes it I mean, makes me utterly ashamed to be British well yeah exactly it, it, it is shameful and and it's not about the boy it's about what is his parents teaching him? He's yeah. got this from somewhere. He's got this from somewhere. Uh, it's to do with, it's to do, first of all, the parents and the school and the environments he lives in. But if we're living in an environment where racism is allowed to breed and he's on social media abusing a footballer, it, I mean, that's just it, just, it just upsets me. It really does. I think it's horrible. Well, it is. And, and it's a quite natural reaction to these memes you see going around the internet, you know, designed to criticise the Black Lives Matter mm. thing. It's, 
Uh, oh, well, yes, but... No, no, no. But negates everything that goes in front of it. Mm. You know, uh, it's I'm not racist, but... And all these yeah. memes are that. And they're designed to, to make you think badly of black people and, you know, people mm. of colour uh, all over. It's a disgrace. And it is. The whole thing is... And, it need, you know, it, it, it needs to be called out. And, and fair play to McGoldrick for, for publicising it and Zaha for publicising mm. it. But the terrible thing is not actually that this is a 12-year-old boy. It's not actually that it happens. It's that this has happened throughout the whole of their lives. Yes, yeah, these these aren't isolated no. incidents. Go, oh my goodness, somebody racially abused me. It happens on a daily basis. Yes. People who don't recognise Zaha would maybe cross the road when they saw him exactly. on the street. He'd get followed around by a security guard in the shop. All these things happen on a daily basis, and he's put there. He and McGoldrick are pointing out isolated incidents in a in a daily thing. Yeah, this is life. It's a general life for them, yeah. and I, I think it, it, people need to need to understand how that makes people feel. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, you know, you know, I, I was born and brought up in in West Africa, and I, I could see that the people who worked in our house and our gardeners, I could see that they were black, but it never meant anything to me. It's it's like when you see two people walking down the down the road, and one's got brown hair and one's got blonde hair, you can see that their hair's different, yes. but it doesn't mean anything to you. It doesn't doesn't trigger anything. And when we moved to London. North London, because it's North, uh, you know, yep. Barnet, centre of the known universe. <laughs> we, we would come out of church on a Sunday and and walk up the street, and people would cross the road rather than walk past the house where some black black Nigerians lived. Having left church, They've just left church, yes, and they would cross the road. And and the, that family, the Nigerian family, the father was a pastor in the church. In the church. No. Yes. I think that kind of sums up the whole oh. thing. But I just it don't want. Sums I up everything. Yeah. I did want to mention it because it is in the news and it is shocking and it continues daily. And when we get the crowds back at football, that is go- it's going to be another issue again. But it let's is. let's move back to the football. Chelsea. Yeah. Beaten three nil by Sheffield United. Now Sheffield United, good team. They beat Tottenham three one. They must be good. Yes. Uh, it wasn't a one off. It wasn't because Tottenham were dreadful. That's. Just that, oh, that, that was just a bonus. Tottenham were dreadful. They were dreadful, but that isn't why Sheffield United won. But they beat Chelsea 3 0, and I think they were lucky to get away with losing 3 0. No, lucky to get nil. And lucky yeah. to get nil, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's right. And, and there's been a lot of comment, um, w- which on the face of it looks looks quite sensible, that says, oh, Lampard can't coach a defence. Oh, look at how many goals they've, they've conceded. They've conceded 49. That's the most any Chelsea team have conceded under Abramovich. Three times as many as uh, John Terry's last season there. So, yes, they, they are conceding goals. But to turn around and point the finger at Lampard or the coaching team at Chelsea, is completely wrong. It's not what's happening. If you looked at, at that match the other day, they conceded four shots on target, mm. and Sheffield United scored three goals from four shots on target. Chelsea also had four shots on target. Mm. Now, who's criticising Chris Wilder for not being a, being able to coach a defence? Yeah, they see nobody. Nobody, no. No. Now, in terms of the number of shots that they have, uh, shots on target they've conceded all season long, Chelsea have got the second fewest. The second fewest. So, in terms of coaching and setting up the defence not to be beaten, they're the second best team in the league. Yeah, there's you wouldn't think that to look no, at them. There, there, there's nothing wrong with the coaching. What the problem is, teams score from the, the shots on target that they have. So on Saturday, both both sides had four shots on target. Dean Henderson made four saves. Keeper 
Ariza Belaga made one. But even that save, he pushed into the path of McGoldrick to score. So you're saying he's the problem? Well, it that begin- very expensive it, goalkeeper they it, bought. It begins to look like. Now, th- that could be just, th- it's just one game in isolation. Mm. Okay, yeah, Crystal Palace and West Ham each had four shots on target against Chelsea, and they scored two and three respectively. In January, Arsenal got two goals from two shots on target. Now, if you said, if the coach is said, you know, we've only conceded two shots on target, that's a that's mm. good. Yes, yeah. And yet those two shots on target resulted in two goals. Leicester scored two from three shots on target. Ariza Belaga has the lowest save percentage, 56.5% of any Premier League regular goalkeeper. To put it another way, for every 100 shots on target, Alisson would save 20 more. Henderson, another 15. Nick Pope, another 14. Chelsea paid 71.6 million for a goalkeeper who doesn't save shots. Yeah, generally, my understanding of football, such as it is, is that a keeper who saves shots is is is, is fulfilling his job. Really, it's kind of a big part of his job, isn't it? Well, it's it's it's, 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 it's one of the things. It's yeah. one of the core things, isn't yeah. it? Saving shots. Saving yeah. shots yeah. is is, yeah. is deemed to be a good thing. Generally, it, 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 yeah. sh- it should take up most of his working hours. You, you think so? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he was a waste of money, is what we're saying. Well, it, it looks to be a very very big waste of money. Yeah, because they they're not going to mm. be able to to get any money if they move him on anywhere. No, they really not. Maybe th- maybe they send him out on loan somewhere, and he does sufficiently well that they could then get thirty million back for him or mm. something like that. But it's n- it's not going to be anything like that. Pope proved over over the whole season, but certainly in the in the Liverpool match that he's England's number one. He's England's yes. best goal. You mentioned Liverpool drawing with Burnley at the start of the show. Uh, Nick Pope, fantastic. Even Jurgen Klopp, and it's kind of a double-edged compliment, I suppose. He um, said after the game it was Liverpool against Nick Pope, which kind of means the other. 10 Burnley players weren't very good but it also is a compliment to Nick Pope oh very much so yeah. 14 clean sheets this season yeah that's right um, what would Chelsea do give to get Courtois back well Courtois yeah after all that trying to get push him out and, uh, that's right yeah I mean if you look at the, the best five keepers in the world Courtois Testegen Alisson Edison Oblak and they're only just ahead of Anana mm. from Ajax and you know I'll, I'll say Fabianski because the numbers prove that Fabianski was the second best keeper last season in the Premier League She's just the other ten, isn't it? <laughs> West Ham. Well, yeah, yeah, no, it's the manager. No, if you know, uh, it's the same as Mourinho. If you set your team up to sit back and absorb pressure, you are going to concede goals. Mm. That's just how the world works. It might have worked for Mourinho in two thousand and two to two thousand and eight, but he's done nothing in the last ten years, and he's doing nothing now. And Moyes is w- Moyes was very good for Everton back in the day, but it was a long time ago that day. It was, yeah. Moyes to me also seems like well, we've said it before, but he looks frightened. But he seems to me to be completely bereft of ideas but his former club Everton with a great manager now mm. have been shocking of late oh well, well certainly this weekend they were just appalling there was there was no energy at all they just looked as if you know there one Everton fan that, that that we see at, at our bar when we're doing the uh, the radio show she said we were shite and I said well you weren't shite you were just just a couple of percent off everywhere Mm. And, and that's the difference at the top level. That w- that percent. That's a big difference, in yeah. It, yeah. A you little know, thing, yeah, but yeah, a big you difference. You either just get to the ball and push it past, or you don't. And that that's where they are. They're they're, they're on the beach. They're just you know we're not going to win anything. We're not going to do you know blah blah blah. Well, you know they're going through the motions. Not really Everton, but it, I'm sure it's going through Ancelotti's mind. Is what Lampard said after they got beaten by Sheffield United. He said it by not saying it. He said it by saying I'm not going to say it. Uh, but it was a very bad performance 
and these players are playing for their careers and their spots. Absolutely right. You know, and so it, whether you've got something to play for or not, you've got to show me that I'm right. still going to play you yeah. next season. Absolutely. I mean, the, 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 the key comment which, which stood out to me was when he talked about only being able to hear Sheffield United players on the pitch. Mm. Now, what was drummed into me when, when we had, the, you know, some very good Arsenal players and Barnet players teaching us how to play play football on a Sunday afternoon was they kept, they kept driving this home to us. Talk, shout, football is a noisy game. And the thing that happens to you when you do talk and shout, and you probably find this in acting as well, your adrenaline level goes yes, up, your performance yeah. level goes up because you, you actually want it more. That's right. I mean, they said the same sort of thing to us at school. You know, you, you're not talking, lad. You're not shouting. Yeah, exactly. And it does. It warms you up. It keeps you going. It's the same in acting, the same in football. But also communication. Yes. And if you, you feel connected to the other person, you're more likely to feel their presence on the pitch and all those kind of things. Well, if yeah. you're sort of wand- ambling about, <laughs> and not not recognising or talking to the other people, it, it, there is the connection is lost. Well, how did how did McBurney get his goal with a header? Sneaking, well, he didn't even sneak because someone the size of McBurney doesn't sneak anywhere. <laughs> Bet- between Christensen and Zuma, they both looked at each other, so they clearly hadn't talked. Mm. So, okay, he's yours. You, you pick him up. I'm going. You know, nothing. And McBurney said, "Oh, thanks very much." Goal. One of the things actually you do hear, uh, even when there were crowds there, you do hear goalkeepers shouting at their defence you have to say something is it yours am I taking it and uh, you see them berating their defence for not talking to each other yeah, that's right. And, you know, the golden rule is as, as you go further back in the team that those people have got to be louder because the goalkeeper can see everything. You know, the, the two centre-backs can see everything except what's what's behind them. That's why the goalkeeper has to rule his penalty area. Do you think Ariza Bilaga rules his penalty area? <laughs> no. It's like De Gea. It's an absolute nightmare. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's what happened at the weekend uh, and those are our opinions on those. Let's have a little look ahead at the games that are coming up because we are reaching the very, very end of the season. And and I would just say on this that whatever we say, whatever we predict, get down to the bookies, get your money on the opposite result. Yes. Because, <laughs> because we have an almost 100% failure rate. Do we? <laughs> I, I try not to remember what I've predicted. While we're recording this, it is Tuesday, the 14th of July. Happy Independence to France. Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah, 14th of July. Bastille Day. Bastille Day, yes. While we're recording this, today is Tuesday, the 14th, as I say. We won't be releasing the episode till tomorrow, by which time Chelsea will have beaten to Norwich, I presume. One presumes, yes. Mm. Yeah, mm. I don't think we need to dwell on that one. It is Chelsea Norwich tonight. Wednesday evening, while this podcast is being released, an interesting one, Burnley against Wolves. Mm, that'll be a good game, actually. Yeah, it? I think Burnley might put up more of an effort against Wolves. Wolves look very good at the weekend, did, yeah. They look very, very good. Mm. If, if there's a team that's going to cause Wolves problems, you'd think it would be Sean Dyche's Burnley, wouldn't it? Yes, definitely. Going for a draw? Lo- logic suggests a draw, which is the, the least common outcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go for that then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then we've got Man City, Bournemouth. You would love Man City to win that because that would help West Ham's survival chances. Well, I, yes, but I'm not a great fan of, the, of these, you know, want, wanting these other teams to lose. West Ham have got to stay up because they deserve to stay up. They've yeah, got to do it on the pitch. Yeah, they've got to do it themselves. But yeah. Manchester City should beat Bournemouth comfortably. Yeah, yes. they should, despite Bournemouth's bizarre win against Leicester. Uh, Newcastle against Tottenham. I'm going to go for an away victory to Tottenham. Mm, no, I can't see... I can't see I can't see Tottenham winning that. Mm. Um, I'm expecting a bounce back from Newcastle. I'll, I'll go for a Newcastle win. 
And Newcastle win, so we've got opposite ones on that one. Mm. So one of us will be right, probably. But it'd be a draw now, wouldn't it? It'd be a draw. (laughs) (laughs) And then Arsenal are at home to Liverpool. Mm. Liverpool win. Liverpool win, let's hope so. Uh, On Thursday, Everton, Aston Villa, two very drab teams currently. Although Villa also got a win. Villa Villa need to win. And Everton are on holiday, so Villa will win. Do you think Villa will get an away away victory at Everton? Well, the fact this is away doesn't really matter very much, does it? So. But, you know, Everton were on holiday, weren't they? Yes. Um, if Ancelotti can wind them up to play, they should be. Everton should be much too strong for Villa. You would imagine, yeah. But Villa have to win. All right, so that would be interesting. Well, Leicester City against Sheffield United. Leicester, as, as we said, Ooh. pretty abject lately. In yeah. disarray a little bit. Sheffield United very strong. I think I think Leicester will win. I, I think Leicester will still win that one. Crystal Palace, who have not won in about... Have been beaten in their last six games or something. six, yeah. Yeah, are at home to Manchester United, who surprisingly for them I think they were shocked to only draw home to Southampton I know but they didn't get a penalty they didn't get a penalty so they (laughs) they didn't get through so I'm predicting that they will get a penalty against Palace and they will win oh well I'm I'm going to predict they'll win I don't know if they'll get a penalty but uh, they must do no penalty no win (laughs) Southampton against Brighton Southampton are very good as we said Southampton are good Southampton win that Southampton against Brighton is a win for Southampton West Ham and Watford who are neck and neck at the bottom of the table yeah draw Draw. Okay. On Saturday, we've got the FA Cup semi-final and a Premier League game. Arsenal against Man City in the FA Cup. City. City, yes, definitely. Norwich against Burnley in the Premier League. Burnley. And then on Sunday, this is the one that I want to watch in the semi-final of the FA Cup. Man United against Chelsea. Manchester United. Uh, You know, I think so too, yeah. Mm. Yes, I think so too. Might be an uh, an all-Manchester final. Yeah. Uh, and then Bournemouth against Southampton and Tottenham against Leicester in the Premier League on Sunday. Ooh, Southampton to win. Southampton to win. Uh, that's a big derby, that, isn't it, for the South Coast? They, they're kind of big rivals, Bournemouth and Southampton. And it's not Arsenal, Tottenham or Liverpool, no, Man United. Exa- no, I, I, I can't, be g- can't be doing with this nonsense of Crystal Palace and Brighton and <laughs> Bournemouth and Southampton. You know, n- none of them are football towns anyway. It's they're not footballing it's towns, no. That it's is an cool. artificial derby, but Southampton to it's win. It's like a, a pre a, a a specially created derby by owners and exactly, whatever. Yeah. Tottenham against Leicester. Oh, I don't know. No, I don't. And I'm a Tottenham fan. I, I mean, I just think by that time Leicester will have started playing again, knowing our luck. Le- it's more important for Leicester to win than Tottenham, so mm. I'll go Leicester. All right then. Brighton against Newcastle, Sheffield United, Everton, and Wolves Palace on Monday. Brighton Newcastle draw. Mm-hmm. Sheffield United, Everton, Sheffield win. Sheffield United, yeah. And Wolves against Crystal Palace, Wolves win. Wolves win, yeah. And then background to a week today Watford against Man City Man City win City win I mean they have been banging the goals in and Watford are in the bottom uh, they, isn't it strange they've been playing for fun since Liverpool won the league yeah yeah. I mean yeah, they, they have they've hardly, I don't think they've conceded a goal no. and they must have scored about 108 yeah <laughs> uh, and Aston Villa against Arsenal come on Villa yeah <laughs> uh, uh, tough one for you that really will be a, a must win game for Villa and yeah by that point I, yeah I think they might yeah you think they might beat Arsenal oh the Wanderers are no good I mean really yeah, they're, not, they're not uh, I mean come on it is Villa they've been pretty bad all season yeah so the Wonders. Well, yeah, true, but not bottom three bad. No. Uh, all right, so those are the games coming up uh, over the next week, uh, and then we are after this round of games. That is the second to last round of games. Uh, we're nearly at the end of the season. Nearly there, and and relegation fight might even go down to the last game. It's looking like it, isn't it? Mm. So we'll have a sort of relegation special next week. 
This last Friday, J footballer Jack Charlton died at the age of 85. Jack Charlton, of course, of Leeds United, 35 caps for England, and basically a legend for turning around and changing the face of Irish football, uh, manager of Ireland as well. Passed at the age of 85, great outpouring of respect uh, throughout the games over the weekend. Indeed, indeed. I mean, uh, you know, a, a one-off. And in terms of how he played and, and how he managed, it was all, always the same. He he was a very limited player, but mm. he did what he could do and didn't try and do the things he couldn't. He couldn't do. Yeah, he was a hard worker, and he knew uh, he knew his strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, he was he was he was a stopper. And and one of the things he said when it, when he got into management was the golden rule is you can let the ball go past you or you can let the player go past you, but you never ever let the ball and the player <laughs> go past you. And and he was he was superb. He he once said to Alf Ramsey when he was you know, in fact during the 1966 World Cup, he said, "But you know, Alf, why are you picking me? There are better centre halves than me." He said, "No." but you're the person in the position that I want. You win the ball, you give it to Bobby, he passes it. <laughs> <laughs> so he was he was very upfront about his own limitations oh, or whatever. And, and he carried that through to management, and that's how he turned Ireland from being serial failures. They never qualified for any international mm. competition finals. They qualified for three under him, two yeah. World Cups and a Euros. That's fantastic. It's absolutely it? brilliant. And, you know, there, there, there's one, you know, leave on a high for Jack Charlton. When, when they're in the World Cup in America and they were going to play Italy. They were on the coach going into New York to the stadium and you know, New York is a huge Italian city and it's a huge mm. Irish city as well and they're in the coach and all they can see looking outside is the green of Ireland. Mm. Thousands, you know, tens upon tens of thousands of Irish fans out there and and Charlton turns around and looks at Tony Cascarino he says, looks like you're the only Italian here. <laughs> Tony Cascarino, brilliant. Irish footballer, Tony Cascarino, lovely. Oh, I love that. That is brilliant. I did see somebody tweeted, big fan of Jack Charlton, you know, Irish uh, fan and everything. It, because of the euphoria and the way he turned around Irish football, they tweeted, it wasn't until I was reading all the stats about his achievements with Ireland that I realised that we didn't actually win Italia 90. <laughs> no, that's right. But it, it shows the effect of football because Ireland was very much in the doldrums at, at the time with not much to get happy about. And he turned around the whole country. The, the whole country got behind this and mm. everyone became more positive and more optimistic in their outlook and that mm. was down to him yeah they began to believe in their own national identity yeah, absolutely. if you like and it took an, took an Englishman to do it took an Englishman to do it yeah it was an interesting interesting and fascinating story so Jack Charlton uh, rest in peace and what a, what a great uh, yeah. what a great memory of him we have yeah great man Great man. All right, let's uh, turn our attention to your trivia question. Right, uh, Liverpool this weekend when they drew with Burnley, that draw meant that Liverpool could not win every home game in the top flight in one season. Who were the last team to do that, to win every home game in a season in the top flight? And the answer was... Have a guess who, who it was. Uh, uh, is is not the Wanderers, is it? It is really isn't. No, no, thank God for that. No. It's, believe it or not, it's Sunderland. Sunderland? Sunderland in 1891 to oh, the season. Uh, you you're telling me that there is no English football team that have gone an entire season winning every game at home, apart from L Sunderland? Correct. Wow, I thought there must be a team that's you won every so, game. You think so, wouldn't you? 128 years, yeah. That, is that, real? that has actually surprised me. That really has. So only Sunderland have gone an entire Entire season winning every uh, every home game. Yeah, and for for Wanderers fans who are listening to this, remember Sunderland. They used to be a fixture in the, in the, you know what would have been called the 
Premier League. Mm. They were, you know, they would have been in this European top six, etc., etc. So, Wanderers <laughs> fans just go to sleep at night thinking Sunderland. That's uh, Sunderland. Us. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look where you might be, what you could be. Uh, that's all we've got time for. We'll be back next week. I'm Chris Carl. I'm Jeff Saunders. And that was hitting the bar, the football podcast.